Good morning. Well, today we are finishing up our teaching series that's taken us through the first five weeks of this fall that's entitled Encounter. And as we've done each week, we've been looking at Mark chapter 5 to guide us in this discussion. So we're going to bring that up. We're going to read it one last time. And I invite you just to have your minds and your hearts open to what it is God desires to say to us today. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that no matter who we are, how we walk in here today, what fears, what doubts, what hopes lie in our minds and in our hearts, that we would encounter you this morning and be changed forever by it. We lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, this series has been based on a very important, very simple premise. It's built upon what is the uniqueness of our faith. That what makes Christianity different is that at its core, at the very center of everything we're about, lies a person. And when your faith is built upon a person and built upon, therefore, relationships, it is different and unique in every way. So, for example, what that means is that we have doctrine and we have dogma, we have theology, we have Bible studies, we have all of this stuff that's really important to do. But at the core of who we are is not an, into, uh, 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 an exercise of the intellect. That stuff can get us towards the person of Jesus, but it's not the main thing. It's not the primary thing. 
And likewise, on the other hand, emotions are a part of all of our lives. And emotions can be good. Emotions can lead us uh, in times of worship. It can lead us in terms of when we uh, hear music and when we experience things. And that can feel that brings us closer to God. But emotions, just like intellect, are not the center. It's not what the entire thing is built upon. That at the very core of our faith is a person. The person of Jesus. And we are meant to encounter that person. You were made to encounter the living God. Now, how do we do that? Well, we understand that, first off, that, that, it, that we are shaped by encounters in many ways. Encounters, for example, are where we find meaning in life. Relationships are where we find meaning in life. God says to Adam, it is not good for you to be alone. And that's not just a word for Adam, and it's not just a word for extroverts. It's for all of us. All of us are not meant to live life alone. We are meant to find meaning in our connection with others. One of the primary regrets that people have at the end of their life is that when they come to die, they didn't pay enough attention to the relationships in their life because they were too worried about what they were going to do what they were going to accomplish, the success they wanted to have. And it's not that success and accomplishments are bad, but when they are forced, when we feel forced to sacrifice relationships on their behalf, it's not a good thing. And usually we, reg- we, we understand it when it's too late to get it back. But we're also shaped by relationships, aren't we? Relationships are what form us. Like many of you, like if I ask you right now, you're like, do you have a favorite book or do you have a favorite movie or do you have music you listen to? All of us have that stuff and all of that's good. But no matter what book, no matter what um, uh, movie, no matter what song that you listen to, that is not going to shape you more than anything else. What shapes you and forms you for better or for worse are people, your parents, your siblings, your coworkers, your friends at school. These people shape you far more than any novel that you've read. We are meant to find meaning in relationships, and we are shaped and formed by relationships. We are relational beings, and at the center of our faith lies a person that we are meant to encounter. So how do we do that? That's what this series has been about. Well, how do we start making that happen? Well, we said the first week that it starts in solitude. These are the three kind of behaviors, disciplines that we at Covenant want to pursue. And we saw that Jairus, and we saw that this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, that they go forth and that they seek to engage Jesus with their individual needs, that God knows and cares about you individually and me individually. God is big enough to create the universe and intimate and small enough to know and care about the details in every single one of our lives. And so do we, like Jairus and this woman, acknowledge the places in our life that are hurting or the places that are broken or the places that are confusing and hold them out? That's what they do. They hold them out before Jesus to see what he'll do with it. So we said that it needs to start there. But we said that uh, the second week that it's not just about kind of a one-on-one relationship with God, but the second is that we experience and encounter God in community. And community, as we talk about it here, it's not about like, do I have people to go to a concert with or do I have people to watch the the UT game uh, when they're playing last night, which was a really good game, by the way. But it's do we have people with whom we deal in truth? That we can be honest about our lives, that we can be honest about our shortcomings, that we can be honest about what we struggle with, we can be honest about our temptation, and that it's in those places that as we're honest with people and they're honest with us, that we can find that we are still loved, 
that we are still valued, that we are still carried by people in prayer, and sometimes we are challenged by the people who are around us because they desire what is best for us. Do we have small groups of community where we give and receive and try to speak and pursue truth together, which is different than going to a concert together or having, just being entertained together? So solitude, community, and finally we said that there are in acts of service. This is the third thing that where we encounter God. Do we find God in acts of service? That is, we see here that Jesus is uh, one who seeks to serve the world around him. That when we look at Jesus, that he's not just doing these miracles to show off his power. It's not like, hey, that was really cool what happened to the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, but guess what's going to happen next to the little girl? That's going to really blow you away and go viral, right? It's not about that. That these miracles are Jesus reestablishing creation the way it's meant to be. That God didn't create there to be illness, that God didn't create there to be death. In the end, it says in Revelation, there'll be no more illness, no more tears, no more mourning, no more death. That creation will be restored. Jesus is giving us a foretaste of that through these miracles. And that we too are called each and every day to go out where we live, work, and play into a hurting and broken world with people whose lives are hurting and broken just like ours can. And that we are called to love that world and to seek to serve those places of brokenness in whatever ways we can solitude, community, and service. Then last week we talked about, well, what is the result of an encounter with God? And we said that if nothing else, the result of an encounter with God is that we come to know our worth. That our primary identity is as sons and daughters of God. That it is debatable what is the biggest miracle in this story. Yes, it may be a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years who was healed. Yes, it may be a little girl who has died and comes back. But it may be a woman whose name has been forgotten because she was just known as the unclean one, whom the creator of the universe stops, looks at, and says, daughter, that is who you are. And that when our souls know their worth, when we understand the value we have as sons and daughters of God, that no matter what our GPA is or what college we get into or whether we go to college or not or whether we have a career where we're wearing a suit and tie or whether we don't or whether we want one or not, all of those things that the world looks at and says, well, this makes you important and this makes you somebody and this makes you a success, that that might be what our calling is, but it doesn't make us more valuable. Not in God's eyes, and it shouldn't make us more valuable in our own because we are more than that. And likewise, when we experience failure, when we experience heartache, when people disappoint us, when folks leave us out or let us down, it doesn't mean that our value is taken away. Our value is not found in our accomplishments or what we're included in. We are sons and daughters of God. So how do we close this out? How do we close this out today? Well, I'd like you through this passage to just consider a question. It's a very simple question, but I want you to think about it as we bring it to a close because this whole scripture passage points to this question that we have to name and wrestle with. And the question I'd like us to close with is this. When it comes to our faith, when it comes to your faith, are you seeking to encounter God or are you seeking to observe God? Are you seeking to encounter God or are you seeking to observe God? Because the gulf between those two is enormous and it is critical that we acknowledge it. 
This past summer, I got to go on a, a little trip for uh, uh, our summer vacation. Our, our family got to take one, about five-day uh, vacation. It was wonderful, and we went to the Caribbean uh, together. I'd never been to the Caribbean. Uh, Beth had never been. Our kids had never been. And this was going to be a really cool thing that we got to go and do. And, um, but I have to confess up front, and my family all knows this, that on the scale of people who love the beach, I am not one of those huge beach people, right? So like Beth is like, oh, the Caribbean, and the kids were all excited. I'm like, yeah, it's gonna be good, right? Like, it's gonna be okay. And it may be that I saw Jaws too many times when I was six years old. I don't know what it is, but I am just not a fan of the ocean, right? People, oh, it's so mystical. It's like, yeah, I guess. It feels kind of big and dirty to me. But sure, mystical can happen as well, right? And so in my life, and I have very few like hard standing rules that have not been broken in all of my years. One of the ones that has not been broken is, I don't go beyond the knees in the ocean ever, right? We have literally had conversations where Beth is like, the kids are probably, they're pretty deep. I'm like, well, hopefully the current's not that bad because, you know, they're strong swimmers. I'm sure they're going to be okay right there. I can't be eaten by anything that can get to right there. You go beyond that and you just never know, right? So when we showed up at the Caribbean and everyone's all excited, I actually was pretty fr thrilled the first morning because uh, we went to an aquarium nearby. And I was like, this is awesome. I love aquariums. Uh, you get to like learn all this information about the fish. You get to see them through like six inches of glass. You get to kind of uh, learn about their, their uh, life cycles. You learn about the, what they like to eat. You learn about kind of how uh, climate change has impacted them. You learn all of these different facts. And then you walk out and then you go eat something. Right? And that's what, and so I was like, this is great. I mean, I do, I love aquariums. I could just like watch, observe, learn. The next day we had to encounter the beach, right? I didn't get to observe it anymore. I had to encounter it, and that meant we went to the beach. And I was doing my part. I'm here to serve the family, and because I'm, I'm really, I've got a servant's heart. And so the kids are running to the beach, and we go over the dunes, and Beth goes over, and I'm carrying the bag. I'm like, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be okay. I'm going to sunburn. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And I look over, and I'd never been. If you've been to the Caribbean, you, you, you know. I looked over the dunes, and it was like nothing I was prepared for. White beaches, as far as you could see, the water was like crystal clear blue. It, it absolutely blew me away. And I go walking down to it, and I kind of put my foot in. It was warm. It felt great. And there were people, and you could see the bottom of it, which is a big deal for me to be able to see and control, hopefully, what's around you. And so I kind of waited in a little bit. I went to my knees, and I felt pretty comfortable with my knees. And so I decided to take a big leap of faith, and I sat down in the water at knee level, right? And, and, and it was great, and it was really cool, and, and, and I felt safe. And so I did what a good dad does. I went and stole goggles from my kids and that we had bought at Walmart, and I was sat back down at knee level, and I put the goggles on, and I ducked under the water, and I was okay, and it was great. And I looked around, and I started going a little deeper, and I started going a little deeper, and it was like, this is amazing. All of a sudden, there were some people further out, like way out, who were snorkeling, and they started shouting, and they were like, there's stingrays out here, there's stingrays. And I was so into it, there's like, I am going. And so with no snorkel at all, and with my children-sized stolen Walmart goggles from my kids, I start hauling out there to go and see these stingrays. And it was incredible. I got out, and we were probably in like 18 to 20 feet of water, but it was so clear you could see down. And so I was like diving down, and there was this whole group of stingrays of different sizes. It was, it was amazing. It was one of the most enthralling things I have ever been a part of. I came up and I got some air and I went down again and I saw some more and I swam around and I started to come back up and I encountered my first barracuda at that point. 
which they tell you when you observe them in the aquarium only get to six to seven feet long, but I'm telling you this sucker looked 18 feet and he looked hungry. And so then I encountered my own ability through adrenaline to swim like Michael Phelps back to the shallow end. But I'm telling you, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing to be out there. And if I ever get the chance to go back to the Caribbean, I don't want to go to the aquarium. I don't want to observe the fish. I actually want to encounter them. When it comes to our faith, are you seeking an encounter with God? Or are you content with observing God? Because the gulf between the two of them is enormous. And that's what takes place in this passage. Throughout every verse of it is there's this difference between people who are seeking to encounter God and the crowd that's watching God. And the crowd knows information about Jesus. They have all the facts about him. They know the miracles he can do. That's why when his boat lands in the first verse, they're waiting for him there. They've heard information. They are ready to see what he's going to do. They're going to observe that. They follow him as he starts to make his way through the village. They says that they kind of press in on him as he's going there. They have anticipation of what they're going to see and what they're going to observe. It says that they kind of talk about him with each other, and they even laugh at him at one point. But they are observing all that is taking place around them. They probably talked about him a little bit to each other going, I wouldn't have done it that way. That's not how he should have done it. And then like they kind of do all of that sort of stuff. There's, there's talk, there's observing, there's watching, there's listening, there's laughing at. And after they see what Jesus done, has done, I'm sure they go out and tell other people about it. But there's a sense of incompleteness in that. Because this isn't about a story we're reading because some people observed Jesus. We're talking about the story because there were a couple of people who acted differently. They reached out. Jairus emerges from the crowd, not content to watch, but he reaches out, letting Jesus know his need. This woman who has been bleeding for 12 years comes out of the crowd because it's not enough just to watch, and she reaches out and she touches his clothes because Jairus and this woman are different from the rest of the crowd because they believe in their hearts that an encounter with Jesus, that the power of God can still work and change a life and change a situation and change the world that we're in. And it is an important thing to ask ourselves, do we seek an encounter with God or are we content with observing him? Because you can go to church your whole life and go to Bible studies and attend small groups and go on mission trips and if you don't look for it, all you will be is a professional observer of God. You will learn the facts about him. You will read the theology about him. You will learn to debate about him. You will learn the history about it. You will learn the context about it. You will be able to debate about denominational issues and what we're doing around these current events like anyone cares anymore. And you'll miss the point. God is not primarily meant to be observed. He's meant to be encountered. And these two are different from the rest of the crowd because they reach out with an expectation of, if I reach out, what if God does something here? That's all that makes them different. They're not more moral. They're not smarter. They're not, they just reach out. They don't do it decently in an order. 
They don't ask for permission. They don't have a committee study it and tell them it's okay. They just reach out, and Jesus welcomes their reaching out and responds to them every time. Are we seeking to encounter God or observe God? What would it mean if in these three disciplines, as we talk about solitude, community, and service, what's the difference in, in seeking an encounter with God versus observing God? Well, it might mean that, in, for instance, in solitude, when it comes to prayer or when it comes to Bible study in the morning, that we would start opening the Bible not with a sense of going, it's going to be interesting to see what the author says here and what Jesus does, and maybe I'd like to incorporate some of these values in my life. But we actually open the Bible going, this is the living word of God. What if the creator of the universe speaks to me right now? It's a totally different way of opening your Bible. And it's about the expectation you have at the beginning. Are we seeking to observe or are we seeking to encounter? Or what about small groups as we're inviting people to sign up, as we've got hundreds of people involved with it at this church? Or whether you're in the Kairos class or whether you're in Lamplighters or Men in the Word or PW, whatever it is, when we gather together in those communities, do we walk in going, oh, well, this is going to be interesting to see what we learn and what the discussion of the sermon went and how it all da-da-da-da-da? Or do we walk into the house going, I might encounter Jesus here? Because where two or three are gathered in my name, that's where he says he's going to be. And that maybe I need to consider taking off my shoes before I walk in because I'm going to be on holy ground. You see the difference in that? It's an enormous goal. You can go through all the activities ready to dissect it and analyze it. But it's a wholly different thing to seek an encounter. Or what about going forward when we go out to serve? I mean, it's possible to go serve because, like, this is what we do and this is what good people do and we're going to help the community and build bridges and everything else. And that's true. But as John shared with you, there are a lot of people, many of whom from this service, that are out this weekend at Laity Lodge Family Camp. They're out there because um, Laity Lodge Family Camp had a vision. They had heard about that uh, a lot of people from our church who were walking with families from the St. John's neighborhood in East Austin and that, uh, they, that these families were seeking to work together and their kids were seeking to serve together and they were going out and the directory of Lady Lodge Family Camp came and said, we want to do something to invest in this. We want to bring all of these families, all the covenant families, all the St. John's neighborhood families, we all want to go out. We have money to pay for it to go out to Lady Lodge Family Camp because we think if those families have a weekend of doing life together and meals together and living near each other and kids playing with each other, that if that happens, they're like, Jesus might actually change the face of Austin because of what happens in this. They didn't sit there and go, it will be good for the city. It's a, it's a wholly different way of thinking about it. And the detail, the gap between observing God, thinking about God, analyzing God as an end in itself, and seeking an encounter with God could not be more important. I want us to be a church where we are reaching out. I want us to be a church where day after day we are reaching out, where we are seeking, where we are doing what Jairus does, emerging from the crowd going, Lord, this is where we need to see you, that we would reach out just to touch his clothes like this woman because we don't just want to watch and think about it and debate it, but we actually want to experience it and to touch the face of God and that we believe that in that encounter that God can change us and change our world. Are we seeking to encounter God or observe God? May we be people who reach out again and again and again to encounter Jesus so that we and our world will never be the same again.
Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day that you would meet us here, that we would realize that we are about following a person and that we would encounter you this day, this week, and that in that encounter you would change us, heal us, transform us, and use us to heal and transform this world in love. We pray for your leading. We pray for your guiding. In Christ's name, amen.